are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by St. Joe River Bows. If you're looking for a custom longbow or recurve, then St. Joe River Bows has you covered. St. Joe's is a family-owned company that specializes in traditional bows for the entire family. Plus their forward handle design, powerful limbs, and unique wood and color combinations make St. Joe's the perfect choice for the budding or experienced archer or bow hunter. Tracy offers bow options for all members of the family from the youngest to the oldest, and they even offer a trade-in program on all youth bows so that as the little ones outgrow their bow, they can trade them in and use that towards the purchase of a bow that better fits their growing needs. And for listeners of the Traditional Outdoors podcast, David and Tracy are going to include a St. Joe River Bows t-shirt with any new bow purchased. Just mention that you heard about them while listening to this podcast. So when you're ready for a new bow, be sure to check out their website at stjoeriverbows.com or give Tracy a call at 517-617-3658 and be sure to tell them Traditional Outdoors sent you. Now on to the show. Well, everyone, I'm sitting here, uh, Nick to my left, and I'm actually joined by Mr. Monty Browning and Mr. Brian Burkhart. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Yeah, We're great. glad to be here. We're sitting here recording live. We've got a, a grand audience sitting in front of us at uh, Compton's Traditional Bow Hunters Rendezvous in Michigan. We're in the clubhouse, and we uh, we decided to put this together. You know, I put a, we have some questions here that we will get to as we go through here. I, I had some uh a little glass bowl at my at my booth over in the big tent and was asking people as they come by uh, to submit questions and there's there's one in here that's really good some of them are we may actually get to some of these because they're, they're somewhat kind of standard but um, I've listened to both of you on some other podcasts and I was sitting back trying to think how we keep this unique so really where I'd like to start and I'll let you guys decide who wants to go first but I'd like to kind of know how uh, each of you got started uh, specifically with with bow hunting, but maybe if you want to go back to how you started hunting, maybe it wasn't with the bow. But uh, Monty's gesturing to to Brian, so Brian, we'll let you go first. Okay, yeah, I actually, um, I, I guess I'll say I've never owned a gun. So my dad was an avid traditional bow hunter, and I've been bow hunting for uh, with traditional gear for over forty years. So. I had the rare, you know, opportunity to have a great mentor right out of the chute. Uh, I had four brothers that all bow hunted, and I've had the good fortune to, you know, bow hunt in, in Africa, in Alaska several times, in the Arctic, and uh, I've been very blessed. So, yeah, I had just grew up in uh, in Michigan, and Michigan's got a very rich bow hunting history. And uh, like I said, with my dad being an avid traditional bow hunter, we. Uh, it was kind of just normal for me and natural for me to to get involved in bow hunting. So you had you had some some mentors from yeah. from very early on. Yeah. Very cool, Mr. Browning. You notice I called you Mr. <laughs> I called him Brian. Yeah, I, I that's that appropriate. Was a on my part. <clears throat> yeah, it should be because uh, I'm not accustomed to Mr. <laughs> Mr. Monty. The kids call me so. No, I started at uh, age five actually, and <clears throat> my mother. Scraped up enough money to buy a second-hand bicycle and uh, with training wheels. And so being the adventurer I was, I took the training wheels off because I figured bow hunters don't need training wheels. Actual true story. <laughs> <laughs> and <clears throat> So anyway, I dumped that thing into a creek trying to see how close I could get to the bank. And I'm pushing it back to the house full of sand. And, and a little kid comes out with a little red painted longbow. And I swapped him the bicycle on the spot. And then went home, and my mother said, uh, where did you get that bow and arrow? And I said, I swapped my bicycle for it. And she, I'll never forget, she looked at me and pointed her finger, and she said, young man, you made that deal. You're going to have to stick to it. And I've stuck to it now for 65 years. <laughs> How much right. of it was because you feared the wrath of mom versus it was just in your blood? I never thought of mom. I thought about that little red bow and that arrow and that bicycle was worthless to me then <laughs> because the neighborhood was full of birds. <laughs> was. was. Yeah, not very long. Yeah, keyword there, was full of birds. Yeah. So along this journey, when did uh, when did the two of you meet? And, well, let's start there. When did when did the two of your paths cross and was it was it uh Friendship and hunting buddies from day one, or did that take a little time? Oh, no. I'll let, I'll let Brian tell that story. Yeah, that's, this is a good one. So 
actually I'd known about Monty, you know, from, you know, his presentations and all that for years, but um, we share the same taxidermist, Bob Nancaro and Frank Muth, Michigan. And one day I was picking up a whitetail in Bob's studio and I was looking at a picture of a moose that Bob had killed, you know, with the bow up in Alaska. And I was just staring at this, you know, picture and Bob said, uh, would you like to go moose hunting to Alaska one day? And I looked at him, I'm like, I would love to go moose hunting in Alaska. And he said, all right, well, I'll tell you what, Brian. And I was a pretty good customer, so I think I was getting some inside information. But he said, I'll give you a name of a pilot, and you've got to make one promise. You can only tell one other person your hunting buddy. And I said, I promise. Well, anyway, I knew Monty hunted with Bob and Carol in Alaska, so I knew we were pretty much going to be in the same drainage. And so at the Kalamazoo Traditional Bowhunters Expo, my hunting partner and I got Monty aside, and we wanted to make sure Monty was okay with us being in the same general uh, drainage and river system. And when we told when we told Monty about it, you could you know he, he's like, "Who are these jokers?" You know that's that was the look on his face, yeah. and he wanted to gut shoot Bob at that point for spilling the beans. And, uh, and we peppered Monty. We what we do? We got some free coffee and donuts from the vendor area, yeah, and I, we bribed you with those. And, I told uh, you it cost you, and I got free donuts and free coffee. And so anyway, we peppered Monty with about a hundred questions about what gear to bring and you know what food and and all this. And uh, by the end of the conversation, Monty's like, "I'm okay with you guys going up there." And uh, you know, we've been that was 2008 was my first year going up there, and I've gone every year since. And uh, actually, the uh, I've gone with a few hunting partners, but Monty and I have shared camp the last three years together. So we've been up there together in the same drainage since 2008. Monty would actually airdrop his gear upriver, land in our uh, camp, and then hike up and then raft his way down. So we've been up there together since 2008, but sharing the same camp uh, for the last three years. And uh, this guy will get you killed. <laughs> I've, I've heard stories. Yeah, I, I have heard stories. So that's uh, how that's how it happened. So beyond the uh, beyond the donuts and the coffee, the first year, did you ever manage to get anything outside of them, or did they pretty much just assume they had paid in full at that point? Well, I thought they I thought they owed me something <laughs> after the free donuts, but uh, as it turned out, uh, it seemed that once they got in the valley and we were going up the river you know hiking up throwing our gear out of the airplane every trip down that river one of us bob or myself got thrown in the river i mean it's just sweeper infested fast water deep it's dangerous and and uh, here's a little side story in that bob and i had we'd fought our way down and back up and back down again packing a moose out and so uh i had hurt a knee he had ripped a rotator cuff slipping off a bank uh, we'd both been thrown in the river and uh so we get down and i and we're just brian and kevin have been flown out and we get down there after dark and we don't, we don't have any food and we're sitting by a fire trying to warm up <clears throat> so i looked across the campfire to bob and i said perfectly serious i said bob this is a this is a dangerous river somebody's going to get killed up here coming down this thing and he thought about it and he just kind of pursed his lips he looked at me and he squinted and he says you and I are the only two going up there. You want to draw straws? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, it, it, but it seemed that every time after that, Brian and Kevin would still be in camp. And then I started running that river by myself because uh, Bob couldn't go for cause of injuries and workloads. And uh, so I just started going by myself. And uh, it's really not a safe thing to do, but it was an adventurous thing to do. And every time, it seemed like Brian and Kevin would have to fish me out of the river, you know, the last minute. Or uh, I would always, uh, probably a half mile above the camp, you know, it's getting late and it's cold, you're hypothermic. No matter what's wrong with you from that, that ordeal, you know, I'd hello the camp and, and usually Brian would stick his head out of the bush first, you know, and then both of them would come down. And then one time uh, I got dumped in the river 
let's see, it's between five and zero, five degrees and zero, ice and snow everywhere. We had holes in the raft, and Bob was floating in his little raft, and I was trying to nurse that bigger raft down with the gear. And I ended up going in right in front of a sweeper at like 10 o'clock at night, crawl out of there, changing my pants. My butt froze to the rock. <laughs> Bob's back in the brush. And so finally, then we get out of there finally, you know, and the next morning we come down, and Brian's the first one. We, we pull up, and I'm leading this raft, and Brian says, what happened to that raft? And it's like, well, it looks better than it did last year. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, what What year was it, Monty, where you shot that uh, bull and you had to fish it out of the river? Uh, was that 2010? 2011. 2011. Yeah. But I'll tell you the story. So Kevin, Dill, and I, we're in, we're in the teepee. It's getting dark, and we've got, you know, we're, we've got the stove on, boiling water for our mountain house. And all of a sudden, I just, I heard somebody screaming. And when you're in Alaska, you know, two and a half weeks, you start hearing stuff, you know. And so I went to camp, and I'm like, hey, did you hear that? And we shut the stove off and listened. And uh, he's like, I, I think you've been out in the bush too long. And so we cranked the stove back on, and then all of a sudden we heard, hello, the camp. And I looked at Kevin, and his eyes got big, so I knew he heard it too. And so I ran down to the river, and I, in this site, you've got a picture of this. You see this guy on a raft, riding a raft with this moose rack, straddling this raft in front. And, you know, he's got this paddle. And I'm like, Kevin, get down here quick. It's Monty, and he's got a moose. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, then Kevin started making his way down. And we fished, you know, Monty out of the river, gave him a big bear hug. And uh, he took his waders, you know, pouring water out of it. His hands were literally sh you know shredded he's on the verge of hypothermia and i pulled him out and i'm like monty you really are a crazy man <laughs> and what was what was great is he got this little smirk he's like thank you buddy <laughs> took it as a compliment so anyway that was that was pretty special time so i'm trying to picture this 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 isn't this isn't whitetail hunting that we're talking about no this is this is for the for the average, I'd say the average. Well, you have to say the average hunter in North America is whitetail hunters. It's probably the, the most pursued big game animals. But I'm listening to some of this, and I I feel like I get myself in some some pretty scary or crazy situations at times. But it doesn't hold a candle to this. Um, it, mine's more along the lines of foolishness. But as I listen to this, the first thing that comes to my mind is how would I explain this to my wife? You so I've met your wife, and yeah. I just want to know, how have you explained this to your wife? That's a good question. <laughs> she, my wife is different. Or, obviously, she married me. <laughs> but, but she's, it, it, she's has a lot of faith. Always has. And it just, I tell her I'm going someplace, she doesn't question it. She has never, I have never in 49 years of leaving home and coming back, she has never had a negative comment, and uh, she never tries to get even, you know, shopping or anything. And it's and it's been funny. <laughs> but I'll come Pretty subtle the way it, you slip that it, in there. Yeah, and and so I'll come home, and she'll she'll say, "So how did it go?" And I said, "Well, I had an encounter," and and she'll get a kind of a funny look on her face, and it's getting it's getting worse, you know, as we get older, and and. Uh, some of the encounters lately have been a little bit off the chart, so uh, so she she was she's beginning to get worried. But I just I just tell her what happened, and she you know it's just like well phew, I'm glad I didn't know that because I've, I've never had any communication until I started hunting with Brian. I'd be up there 30 days. I, I nobody knew where I was but God and the pilot, and I was not where the pilot thought I was a lot of the times. <laughs> uh, so you know she said, well, what if something had happened? I said, I don't know. It's like women ask you, why did you do that? I don't know. I don't know why I did that. It's just what you do. And there's a side of that, and I'm going to tie back into a recent hunt that I did as well. But So you know about it. Now what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, so you, you know I'm in this precarious situation or I, I, I escaped death, didn't drown. Whatever it may be, but again, you're you're thousands of miles away. What are you going to do? You might yeah. be better off not knowing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, I know for certain that you started doing a lot of this before technology was at a pace where you had a choice. It was either you were going to do it and be cut off or you weren't going to do it. And I think there's a lot to be said for being able, not having that, that tether. At the same time, it sure feels awful comfortable. I, I hunted um, uh, in elevation in Wyoming this past year, backcountry hunt. We were miles back. And I took a sat phone. And, you know, just once a night, send a text, let everybody, everything's okay, we're fine. And it was a, it was a bit of a peace of mind. But at the same time, you're sitting there going, if I get in trouble, what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, you know. That's so, but still, my hat's off to you. That's that's. I would love to do something like that, and I, I guess if I'm going to do it, I need to do it soon before I get any heavier. <laughs> All right, but uh, but yeah, it's, it sounds like truly a, an adventure. Now, my wife's a little different. I mean, she's always. We've been married 30 years. She's always been very supportive of me. You know, chasing my passion. Uh, but she does say bump up the insurance. <laughs> Oh my yeah, I hear that before, before I leave, and she does do some shopping, so a little different. But uh, yeah, she's she's been great in terms of letting me, you know, have the passion and chase that. But you know, I take a uh, satellite phone up there, but I tell my wife, I'm, I'm like, I use a satellite phone to contact the pilot when we get a moose to get you know get in there as fast as he can. And I tell her, I'm like, if you hear from me, it's not a good thing. And she's. You know, if she wasn't comfortable with that, then I would adapt. But she's comfortable with that. So you just kind of go with, you know, whatever works for both of you. So, Brian, we've heard a couple. And, and Nick, tap me on the shoulder if you, when you want to jump in here. Otherwise, you sure. know I'll just sit here and keep No, I'll, I'll hit you. <laughs> um, we've heard some of Monty's adventures. What about you? What's, what's something that's just been a, a harrowing close call, something, what, something that you've encountered? I've had a couple. Um, I would say the closest where it literally went through my mind where I was going to die was I was actually glassing. A, it was 2016, and I was seeing this. Um, I was seeing this bull and this cow come out, you know, right at the evening, and sh and he would end up bending down, and she would just be feeding. And I've watched this bull chase off four or five other bulls, and one night. Or one afternoon, I told Monty, I'm like, if that bull comes out again, I think I'm going to, you know, go after it. And it was a mile away, and you've got the main river plus two other inlets. So it wasn't going to be an easy stock. And, and when you're up high, everything looks pretty open. You get on the valley floor, and, you know, it's pretty tough to see. But long story short, I made the stock, and I got in, and I saw the, I saw the cow. And then I saw another bull, but it was a paddle horn that he had run off before, the bigger bull. And... Um, uh, and so I knew I was in the area, but I couldn't find the bigger bull. And I looked, the cow started feeding off, and then the bull, the paddle horn, he actually worked his way off. And I looked to my left, and I just saw this bedded bull with these big paddles. And I'm like, okay, now we're in the game. So I actually knocked an arrow, and I had a, um, an antler that Mike Minton made for me. It's a fake antler. And I went in rocking like, ooh, ooh right at the bull and that got his attention he got up right away and he just started posturing and, and coming at me and it was a it was a open brushy area so there weren't any trees uh, to get behind but at 30 yards he had had enough and he put his head down and he went and just came at me and at that point it was like a bulldozer coming at me high speed and I said you're a dead man Fortunately, he stopped at about 20 yards and started posturing again, and he rocked enough to where he opened up his chest, and I shot an arrow in his chest. And normally when you shoot a bull in the chest, they run off. This guy, he, he went and came at me again at 10 yards. He started wobbling and then ran off and died about 90 yards away. And uh, that, was, that was a time where I'm like you, have, you know, like the dog that caught the car. I thought I caught the car. <laughs> It was pretty exciting. Wow. So I must admit, I wasn't I wasn't expecting that kind of. So I have to ask: Have you ever had? Because I know you have. Has anybody? Is everybody in the audience? And we have several people listening in. I uh, heard Monty's story about his grizzly encounter. Ah, this is good. Couple couple head nods. So we're going to go into that. So that's where I was. I was really wondering if you had yeah. had any close encounters uh, with grizzlies. So I've had I, that. I've had that too. As close as the one that it sounds like he had? Pretty close. Oh, he yeah? Was close. yeah. 
Well, fifteen yards. So. Let's let's hear yours real quick, because I haven't heard yours. I have okay. heard Monty's. All right. Well, um, I was again my one of my hunting strategies is to climb the mountain and then glass the river system, glass the valleys, and then when you see a moose or whatever, you, you know you go in after it. But um, when I'm up there too, you can hunt caribou as well, and I actually had a tag, and I'd seen this caribou running into the valley and it was running on this uh in an, into an area where i thought i knew where it would end up there was this peninsula where i'd seen other caribou run so i had a pretty good idea of where this caribou was going to go and but it was yeah it was a great white mane bull caribou so it was really nice so i made a beeline off the mountain got halfway across the river and this caribou ran right on this peninsula where i thought he was going to run but he just beat me he got there before i did and I looked back at the mountain and I didn't really want to climb that again. So I finished wading across the river and I was bent over in the willows, taking off my waders. And I just heard this like smack in the water and I turned around and everything went in slow motion. And I saw the left paw of the, of the grizzly in the water. I saw his jaws and then beads of water going up in slow motion. And that would, the, the bank, the river at that point is about 15 yards away, and he was in the river. So he was under 15 yards. And you really didn't have time to get scared because it happened so fast. But I had, I don't carry a sidearm, but I had bear spray. And like I said, everything was in slow motion. I pulled out the bear spray, took the safety cap off, and I was just getting ready to spray. And when I stood up, the bear stopped and just ran the other way. And, you know, after the bear ran the other way, I'm like, that was a grizzly. <laughs> and, uh, and I think what happened is it was chasing that caribou, and I got in the middle of it and thought I was a caribou when I was bent over in the willows. And when I stood up, realized you know, I wasn't the caribou who he was after. But uh, I'll never know the real story in terms of what was going through the bear's mind, but I think that's what happened. But uh, like I said, it happened so fast, didn't really have time to get scared, but uh, another pretty close encounter. And we've, you know, we've seen the one grizzly from since 2008. We see him every year, and he always gives us an adventure and a pretty oh, yeah. good story. So, so that's Very my grizzly cool. encounter. Very cool. Yeah. So, Mr. Brown, do you mind sharing yours? I know you've shared this multiple times. Um, and, and I think, do you know of the one I'm talking about? I'm not sure. In the valley? Uh, there, there are quite a few. Yeah, with the, 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 the valley, and it was on a... Uh, uh, just so happened to be on a very coincidental day that it occurred, if I'm remembering the, correctly. The sow and cubs? Yes. Oh, that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really bad when you're sitting and you go, which all that encounter? <laughs> which heroin experience? <laughs> which near-death experience? Yeah, which near-death <laughs> experience are we talking about? Well, you don't, you don't really ever know. Like he said, as soon as the bear recognized it, that he was not the animal, now he's a threat. And the bear ran. And that's, that's generally the case. And that's the problem with bow hunting grizzlies because you, you have to work the wind so much. Sure. But um, I just, uh, I'd killed a nice caribou bull a long way from the camp. And like I said, uh, since the, uh, the pilot had dropped me off for 30 days, and so no one knew where I was. God knew where I was, and the pilot knew where he left me, but I was a long way in a different valley camouflaged and you don't leave much of a trace so uh, I, I packed the caribou bull back to camp in two packs and the carcass was down in a real rough terrain so I go back in there uh, two days later from the day I killed it that's given time for the scent to get around and those those bears will usually get on a carcass the first night but it just didn't occur to me that that's was going to happen there so so i i woke up everything was uh very very calm no wind started getting my pack together picked up the 44 magnum felt the weight put it back down decided not to take it since then i'm, I'm thinking about getting a bumper sticker that says you can't fix stupid <laughs> and, uh, and so so I go on and, and get up this valley, go in the valley, and when I started into the valley, I mean, I've been getting bad, I don't know if you call them vibes or premonition or warnings or um, nothing seemed to be right. There, no bird life, nothing moving, no wind, and uh, way too quiet. 
and I was getting a little anxious about something was going to happen. I knew something was going to happen. I just didn't know what. So I kept going, kept going. I kept thinking that pistol would be good. And uh, so I get to where you go into this valley, and you have to go down in a hole and come out and go into this dark valley. The sun hasn't got up yet. So I start in there, and everything is telling me don't go in there. And I've got L.L. Bean boots on, camouflage fleece, and I'm quiet, and the cold air is drifting down the valley. So I walk in there very slowly, and I'm watching everything, and I'm thinking, you've got to be alert. You've got to see things. And the closer I get, the more nervous I start getting. And I don't usually get nervous. Um, but something is wrong, and I know it's wrong. And I finally get up within 20 yards of where the carcass is, but you can't see it. And I have already, I have already walked past the sow grizzly that's this laid up in the brush, and her cubs are on the kill. And I get about 10, 15 yards from the kill, and I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, it's, it's, I can feel, it's like an evil presence, you know, like you would feel there's somebody in this room. I can feel that, and the hair on the back of my neck is starting to tingle. And, and something's not right. And I'm looking around. There's not a sound. There's not a breeze. I know the cold air is drifting down, and it's drifting right past the sow. She can't smell me. But then I hear something, and I, I just, all of a sudden, I see something. And I'm, I think I hear ravens. Just, oh, 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 little whining sound like ravens do when they're feet. Something moves up here, and I look up, and a young golden eagle floats out of a spruce tree. And when I saw him, that panicked me just a little bit because I realized I'm, I'm looking around trying to see a raven in a tree, a guard bird somewhere, because if there are ravens on the kill, that eagle wouldn't be sitting in the tree. And I said, oh, no, this is bears. This is bears. And just as I realized how stupid I had been, that those bears start whining and running. They, they must have seen me or something. There's, now it's, and I'm saying, no, don't do that. Now, all of a sudden, I, I can see myself telling Annie, I said, never panic. Just, just walk away from it. Just walk away. Hold the steering wheel and hit the deer. Don't jerk the wheel left or right. Never panic. And I said, don't panic, Brownie. Just turn around and walk away. Now these bears are bawling. That sow roared in my, she's right up above my ear in the brush. And she roared, and it, it felt like somebody had grabbed my heart, squeezed all the blood out of it, and wouldn't let it go. I couldn't get a breath. My temperature went up 20 degrees, it felt like. And, and I, I'm, you're done. You're a dead man. And these, these cubs are running up the hill to her. And she, and she's right here in my right ear. Because I've already turned and started moving down. And I said, walk away from it, Brown, and just walk away from it. And I'm seeing a thousand things all of a sudden. And I'm saying, I've got three, I've got three maybe four seconds, and I'm going to be dead. And I, you know what you know you are. That's probably the most dangerous situation you can run into with, mm -hmm. with grizzlies. And I know she's coming, and she's going to hit me so hard coming off that bank. There's, I can't shoot her with a bow. And I, I, I saw those three dead trees that are right down here. There's no way. I, I can't run. I just don't run, you know. And so I'm just walking, just steady walking. And she's, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, I had a calm feeling. And in my mind, I saw myself as clearly as I see the people sitting here. I saw myself when I was a little boy, because I was in church every Sunday by myself, you know. I saw myself looking up at the clouds trying to figure out what God looked like. And I used to do that. I wonder what God looks like. He probably looks like that cloud. And, and I saw that. And just keep walking, Brownie. And then that went away. And then I saw the old maps. You used to see these old brown maps done in brown ink of the of the world flattened out and have a wooden sailing ship and up in this right hand corner there'd be a like a cloud with a face and it would be blowing the wind to push the sails i used to see those when i was a kid and i thought it's god it's god god's doing this and i said thank you lord keep walking brownie and and i took about two more steps i am horrified absolutely my chest is so tight and uh, I'm sure my face was red, and, and I'm, just, I'm just walking, just trying to walk out of it. And so I, I take about one more step or one or two steps, and all of a sudden that cleared. And I can see, every time that bear roars, I can see a, a 
bear sitting on its haunches. And every time it opens its mouth in my mind, I hear that bear roar. And I said, God's holding that bear. He's, and it was just like there was a hand pointing down at it, you know, like, sit, stay. I said, and out all I knew was, this is good, Lord. This is good. And I just keep walking, and she's, oh, oh, oh. it was so demonic sounding and so evil sounding. Oh. And I know she's going to come, so I, now I've got a plan, you know. I'm just going to take the pack off and sling the pack into her face as she's coming, and she'll fight that, for, and I'll run for that tree and try to climb the tree and pull the bow up. I get to the tree. She still hasn't come. I'm looking over my shoulder like this, you know, just rubbernecking. And then I get to where the trees are, and, and she's still roaring. I can still hear the cubs bawling, and, and I just walked out of it. I said, I climb the tree. No, don't climb the tree. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. And I walked out of that valley, went down into that hole, and as I came up out of the hole, she stopped roaring. And it got very quiet. And as long as I knew she was war, uh, roaring at me, and I was like 100 yards away now, I'm good with that, you know. I can do something. When she stopped, now I'm looking over my shoulder because I think she, I can see her in my mind running along with those pit bulls, you know, going to chase me down. And so I get out in the open valley. I'm still not running, but I'm, I've got a 36-inch stride. Now I've got about a 42-inch stride. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm going down the middle of this valley because I want to see her coming. And so, and I've got an arrow out and this stuff. So I'm going along and, and all of a sudden I look back at the valley and it's still in dark shadow. And I said, Brandon, you just walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And I remember being a kid and I was just thinking, the valley of the shadow, of, that's got to be a scary place. And I wonder what I would do if I ever had to do that. And I said, he just walked you right out of there. And I kept going. And so I'm, I'm walking through this valley. Uh, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I'm quoting scripture, you know, and going down through the valley. I, I, I was so nervous that I got to the part that thou art with me and I just went right to the big stick. The rod and the staff, I'm thinking I could beat the bear to death with that. And I go back to camp and cross the river and get to camp and make a pot of coffee and I drink the whole thing. I go up. I'm trying to figure it out why I'm not dead. And I go up on the mountain. I sit up there glass for a moose and bear for the rest of the day and I never see the bear again. And, uh, and so I sit up there and I'll, I'll glass a little bit and I'll think of what could have happened. And I'll think... Lord, thank you that the bear didn't rip my guts out and, and leave me and cover me up with brush. And, and Oh, yeah. And Lord, thank you that the bear didn't rip my face off and, and leave me for dead and then come back later, you know, when the flies are working on me. Lord, thank you that it didn't do this. And I just wore him out all day. <laughs> and so then at night I go back. I have an absolute peace. Build a fire. And I sat there till 11, 30, 12 o'clock that night and um, get up next morning birds are singing again the ravens are squawking and so I come home and I think it's all over with you know and I come home and I tell Annie the story and then I pick up a magazine and I hear that that Bart Sklyer had been killed the same week that I was walked through that valley without a scratch and I told Annie about it and she, you know she got a funny look on her face and, and you know that's when she got a little concerned over that but other than that it was a great trip <laughs> 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 oh man I'll tell you this 27, 27 days into that hunt it started snowing and I went out an hour before dark and I went down and cut through a big I think all the bears are gone you know I, I cut through a big thicket and was going across the stream there and there was a fresh grizzly track where one had stepped right out on the snow and there was still water from where he was dripping in the track and it's just, it's just like, pull that 44 Magnum out, and I got the hammer back, and I'm doing this guy. And I'm sitting here. You need to go back to town. <laughs> so, so I must admit, part of me is sitting here listening to that story. And then th the first thing I think is, so you've just gone through that ordeal, and then you go sit in a campfire at night in the dark. But then the other realization sets in that what else you going to yeah. do? Yeah. It <laughs> I is mean, what it, it is. So the only other question I can think to ask is, how was that story received by your wife? And did you tell it the way you just told it to us? Or did you I didn't have did to fluff it up? I didn't it? have to embellish anything. And, uh, you know, and she didn't like it at all. 
<laughs> no, she didn't enjoy that story. She didn't go shopping after that story? Uh, no. Wow. And, uh, you know, and, and then it's been a number of bear encounters since then, and, um, and she wouldn't get in, feel any more secure about that. Uh, and then last year, you know, we, we were looking for some movie to watch, and uh, The Revenant was there. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're, we're both watching that. And uh, when that bear charged him, I nearly climbed up on the back of the couch. <laughs> and Annie, Annie sat there, and she had the weirdest look on her face. I was, I was watching her, you know, because that and it's just throwing him around and, and then back on him again. And, and that's the way it works. I mean, it's that fast. And, and so uh, after that part, she said, I don't think I want to watch any more of this. And I said, it's all, that part's over with, right. you know. But uh, she hasn't asked to watch that anymore. And then after this year, which we won't talk about now, but but after this year, she didn't like it. Uh, she's 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 tired of bear stories. I, I can I can oh, only man. imagine. I will tell you, we we had a young lady on the podcast three or four weeks ago. Uh, long story about how I ran into this this woman, but she actually has a, a website and a blog about fishing the backcountry, and she's doing it solo, and she's wow. probably in her early twenties. And one of the things that I wanted to ask her was, you know. If I'm going into the backcountry by myself or even with somebody, there's thing I won't necessarily say I have fear, but there's there's apprehension. There's things that I I, I think about mainly so I can be prepared for it. And yeah. I said, you know, as a woman, that's got to be completely different. What are your fears? And you know, the first thing that she said was not that much different. She said, you know, I I worry about what if I encounter a grizzly. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it for a little bit, and I, thought, and, I and I even said this in the podcast. I said, you know, if you think about that one. You got just as much uh, yeah. just as much chance for success as I do. Yeah. Uh, then she started talking about running into the wrong, you know, the wrong person on a trail or something right. like that. But when you start thinking about a grizzly attack, forty-four, bear spray, you bare hands, you got to rely on a, an upper power somewhat just to, to help keep you safe because there's not what you're going to start do for a full-grown grizzly. Well, here, so 2016 is when. Monty and I were first sharing our camp together. And Annie, Monty's wife, said, Brian, don't let Browning get hurt. I'm like, you're trying to tell me to control Monty Browning? I mean, so it was pretty pretty interesting. So, but we made it. Yeah. That's that's some pressure. Yeah. I don't think that was I pressure. Won't. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> so we covered most heroin experiences, or some of them. Uh, contrary to that, What's the funniest thing that ever happened to you out in the brush? Do either of you have any stories about that? Well, let Monty go. Funny? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, your butt to the rock was uh, yeah, freezing pretty butt, funny. Freezing your butt to the rock <laughs> coming out of 30, 40 degree water in Missouri. That, that, that was hilarious. I'll tell you the, I'll tell you the, the, the little bit more about that. Uh, after the raft folded, it's too dark to see, and I'm trying to run along in the rocks because I know the raft won't support me. And Bob wants to get down to uh, Brian Gibbons' camp uh, that night. So uh, uh, I'm trying to go as far as I can. I keep telling him, I said, we cannot go around some of these things. There are sweepers in this river, and it's getting too dark. We, are, we can't get wet at these temperatures. Okay, buddy, I've heard that. I've heard that all day. You know, So now it's dark. It's after 9.30 at night, it's dark, it's almost zero degrees, the water's 34 degrees, and then we get to a place, and I recognize that all I can see on the water is, is the silver sheen from the ambient light from the snow and stuff. I can't see into the crystal clear water, the rocks, I can't see where I'm running. We've been running for five hours in this stuff, having to reinflate the raft. So I know I can't ride on the raft, and so Bob's got his little raft, and he says, Buddy, we need to make one more turn. We can, if we could get past one turn. I said, Bob, there, I'm not sure about this bend, but I think it's bad. I think there's a sweeper around this bend. I said, we can't do this. He said, well, I'll just go around the end one time. And he shoves off. And I'm standing there, and I watch this black silhouette float around the bend down there about 100 yards, and he's gone. And I'm standing there with a raft I can't see to go in the water. The water's too deep and fast and because it's fairly narrow there. And I'm standing there, and I said, told him and I told him and I told him and I said so what are you gonna do Brown you gonna stand here and let him drown you can't help him up here so I just pushed the raft out in the water and just fell face down on top of it spread eagle 
Now here we go. Absolute, that raft is doing this in the rapids and current, and it's going down like I have absolutely no control over it. I've got a long nylon rope that's all watered up under my chest. I get down there and it's just, it's the most helpless. It's one thing in the daylight, but it's another. I can hear the fast water around there and I know I was right. And, and so we get down there and just as I get to where I can see around the bend, you know, you gotta imagine riding this thing. And just as I get, I, my buddy Bob is out as far, and he's good in fast water. He's out right to the top of his hip waders, out in the out in the current as far as he can get, and he's screaming at me, "There's a sweeper! Don't go into it!" And it's just like, have I told you this before? <laughs> and it's like, throw me the rope! Throw me the rope! You can't go into the sweeper. And so I raise up a little bit, and it, am I? This is going to be tight, you know, and he's, he's way over the river. It's like 30 yards across right here, and it's pushing me toward the other bank. Throw me the rope! Throw me the rope! So I reach under here, and I grab that tangled nylon rope, and I give it everything I've got. And I see it just from that little bit of snow light. Just he reaches for it. He goes in over his hip waders, and he reaches for it and misses it. Don't go! Nice. Don't go into the sweeper! <laughs> Air brakes or let's see, what is the same? Too late. Yeah. And so I raise up on both hands like this, fighting the current, and I see this the aluminum paddle. And I said, Well, I've got to do something. And so I, I pushed up like this, and I was gonna get up on my knee and get that paddle. And just as I pushed up, the raft just folded up this way and just dumped me right over on my shoulder, right in the water. And I don't know how many of you, I know a bunch of you guys been in the river, but how many of you been dumped in 34-degree water at 10 o'clock at night when it's almost zero <laughs> outside? This, you hear, because you it's rolling rocks on the bottom all the time. So you hear this, and you're clawing, just clawing at the rocks, and they're rolling down. You're trying to get up the bank, and you're just clawing it. You're fighting for your life, and your your chest is closing down because of the, the the cold and and uh and so it your movements start getting slower and and i the last thing i did i knew i had to have that raft because my stuff is in it my dry clothes and that's that's the lifesaver right there our tent everything and i grabbed the rope that just laced around the side on the way over i just grabbed that rope and went under and i'm clawing at the bottom I, but i'm holding on to this thing and it's it's like this ain't working for me you know I didn't even think to pray. You know, it's amazing. I don't care how good your faith is. You just forget sometimes when, so, you're, when you're having a heart attack. Did you think to curse? No. Okay. <laughs> no. That was one of, the, one of the things Bob told me when he first met me in 93. He's videoing me. He says, you know, you don't swear. Why? <laughs> so I'm clawing along. And it's just... And I'm getting weaker. And all it just felt like somebody just shoved me up against the rocks and I grabbed onto something and I got a, a toe hold in with my hip waders and I came you talk about shooting out of the water I came busting up out of there grabbed that raft Bob's running toward me there in the dark and he said I'm sorry buddy and I said we'll sign blame later we gotta get a fire <laughs> I dragged drag the raft up there, and I stagger. When I, it's all like it in my fingers won't work, you know. And, and it's just so cold. Uh, it's amazing, you know. You get out of 34 degrees, it's like you want to get back in the water again when it's zero outside. So I go over there and I and I sit down, and I pull up, and the water's just pouring out. And and Bob, I said, get my pack out of there. I've got some stuff in plastic. So he brings this pack over there. And I'm digging through the pack, and the first thing I pull out is a goose-down jacket in a big Ziploc. And I said, oh, this is good. And I'm ripping clothes off, and Bob says, I'll get fire started. So he runs back and vanishes in the dark. And I'm sitting there, I'm taking all, get the hip waders off. Your hands don't work, you know, and you can't think straight. And so I finally get those off, and all the water pours out. I pull those pants down and get those off, and I get my shirt off. Now you're out there naked. You know, and so I get that goose down jacket and I said, oh, that's, that's good. The next thing I pull out is a full fleece face mask and I pull that on. I'm good to go. I'm good to go. Now I'm good. All right. So then I got to get those wet socks off and I've got some, there. There's some more socks in there and uh, I can put the boots back on if I have to. And so oh, I got these dry fleece pants and I start to put them on and I realize I've still got my shorts on. And I start to get up, and I'm frozen to the rock, and I can't get up. And then, 
that, I, I lost it right there. I started laughing, and I said, hey, buddy. And he said, yeah. And he's way back here in the brush. I said, I need a little help. And he says, what's wrong? I said, my butt's frozen to a rock. <laughs> and he gets real quiet, and then he says, don't stick your tongue to a frozen flagpole. And then we just both just laughing and laughing and laughing. I'm just, and then finally get pride off that silly thing. Get those pants on. Did you ever go back and sign blame? We did. <laughs> we did. Yeah, yeah, that we did. We we finally, I'd I fixed a little bullet thermos, two of those of Mountain House rice soup or something. That morning when we started breaking trail, hauling stuff down below the sweepers to load that raft, and we didn't actually pull out of there till three in the afternoon after we found we had six holes in the raft and uh, and only three patches. And the directions say, the directions say, now you know it's, it's about five degrees and it's snow on the ground, and everything and everything's wet and frozen. And the directions say with this with this glue, it says allow 24 hours for curing. And I said, 24 hours, buddy. I said, I think we're going to have to test this one a little quicker. <laughs> so we heated it up with our, had a little propane thing and heated it up and shoved off. And every quarter mile, we had to pump up the raft again. And so that's when, that was the next morning when we finally got back down to Brian's camp. And he said, what happened to that raft? <laughs> he said, bro, you look better than you did last year. <laughs> if Monty ever offers to lend you a raft, don't take it. Don't take it. <laughs> I guess, Nick, Mike, um, I'll, I'll take you to Kodiak Island. So we were doing a drop camp on Kodiak for uh, uh, Sitka Blacktail. And it was uh, Monty Browning, myself, Brian Bowling, and Wade Job. And the first night we flew in, we got dropped off on a lake, and it was, it was already starting to rain. And if you know Kodiak, it's notorious for bad weather. And we were laying, Monty had a pup tent, Wade had a pup tent, and Brian Bolden and I were sharing a uh, teepee. And we, we were right off the shore, probably, what, 15, 20 yards yeah. off, the, off the lake shore. And we were, the teepee was up higher. The pup tents were a little lower. And it, it rained all night. And it was 70-mile-an-hour winds. And I'm watching this teepee pole just dance, you know. And you're sitting there wondering if this teepee is going to be a Dixie cup and just take off on you, you know, in the middle of the night, and you're just going to be laying out there. And uh, at one point, I remember saying, I cannot watch this teepee pole all night. And I just put my sleeping bag over my head and just, you know, went to sleep. And I woke up to the tent side of the teepee slapped me in the face like two in the morning and I actually got up restaked it and then you know Brian Bolding didn't even know what happened the next day he, he just you know crashed so anyway that was kind of how the hunt started and then we on Kodiak I actually put an electric fence around the around the entire camp and when we go moose hunting we don't do that but on Kodiak with all the brown bear I put an electric fence around the camp and we came in one day from hunting and we'd been seeing I mean fresh uh, brown bear tracks on the beach 15 yards away every night and the first night actually Monty woke up in the morning we, he looked out there he's like hey we got a friend coming is big brown bear and so we had the electric fence going and brian bowling we came back in from hunting and he said he was holding the fence he's like the our fence isn't working so i went to another corner and i grabbed it i'm like oh i got zapped here i'm like it's working over here and he's like well this section's not working he's just holding this you know electric fence and i went over there and i'm pretty good at pranking people but I went over there and I held onto the fence you know real hard with my bare hand and it just went I mean, it got me and I'm like and I looked at bowling and I'm like you suck bowling and everybody lost it at that point so that was pretty good. and then that I guess you know when when after it rained and all that another funny part of that story was Monty was in this pup tent and he went up to get out in the morning unzipped his tent put his arm down water was up to his elbow he was on a big fortunately he was on a big raft in his tent it was like <laughs> rafting it inside your tent oh yeah so yeah. then uh, on the same hunt brian one morning it was howling wind and rain it was horrible and so we'd all gathered up in brian's teepee <laughs> and uh having coffee and stuff and our, our oatmeal and so brian's getting his stuff on because he's got a long way we were going to go in a different direction you know so brian finally gets ready and it's it's really nasty out there it's cold it's rainy it's blowing it's nasty it's going to be that way all day 
And so Brian says, all right, boys, I'll see you later. So, all right, we'll check in on the hour. And uh, so he leaves. And we're sitting there drinking coffee. And then it, it intensifies. Now there's more rain. There's more wind. And, and, uh, and I said, uh, poor Brian, up on that mountain all alone. And this wind and this rain, I think I'll have another cup of coffee. <laughs> so we start drinking coffee and eating cookies, you know. And we're sitting there. We're These are my friends, by the way. And uh, nobody's in a hurry to go, you know. So we sit there for like an hour. And then Bowling says, uh, oh, time for Brian to check in. And so, so Brian calls in. He says, uh, uh, hey, buddy, you up? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. It's rough out here. He, Brian said, yeah, it's tough. He said, yeah. I'm not seeing anything. How about you? He said, no, not nothing. He said, all right, we'll check in on now. He clicks it off. He said, I'll have <laughs> And we did that all morning long till yeah. lunchtime. And it started clearing up. So, well, I guess we can go up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I asked, you know, I, uh, I had the radio on. We just have uh, two-way radios check in on the hour from a safety standpoint. And all of a sudden, I'm checking in with Brian Bowling and uh, – and I hear guys in the background. <laughs> and I knew at that point. I'm like, They're like not me. even out. They're not even out. Yeah. Jeez. Well, I'll tell you Man. what, guys. Uh, one of the things, I think I mentioned this at the beginning, I did, I did let some folks submit some questions. Um, and we'll, we're coming up on close to an hour. So I want to try to get everything wrapped up here on time. So I'm going to go through a couple of these. Um, and I'd like for you to both kind of chime in. Uh, one that was asked was, what's your favorite game animal to pursue? And why? Well, I'll go. I mean, for me, you know, I've I've uh, started bow hunting moose in Alaska in 2008, and I've gone every every year since. And when I was flying back that first year, I did not uh, kill a moose. And the pilot said, "How'd it go?" I'm like, "I had a phenomenal time." And um, he said, "Well, I wish you would have got a moose." And I'm like, "We had we had a great time." And I said, "Book me through 2020." And uh, this last year. I told them, book me through 2030. So there's something about being in Alaska, hunting a moose, being with, you know, 15 yards away of something that just wants to tear you up that really is exciting. It's it's definitely in my blood. And, I mean, I just love where they live. I love to hunt them. And they're just really, I mean, they can make a ton of noise, and they can just slip away. And they're just fantastic animals to bow hunt and uh and they've got a big target i like that too so anyway moose would be my my animal well i just about have to agree um i love hunting big bears i love hunting cape buffalo i loved hunting australian buffalo i, I just i like crawling up the big dangerous animals um and I've, I've crawled up to five yards of a Cape Buffalo bull feeding, crawled up a little bank, and he's in some heavy brush here, and I can't get an arrow to him, but it was just so cool to hear him crop in the grass and hear the, the way the hooves crush things when he takes a step, knowing that there's a ton of animal there. But you can't, these things are, are one-in-a-lifetime hunts, you know. You can't hunt Cape Buffalo every day, and, and after you've chased five or six herds down, on foot by yourself you know the novelty could wear off about <laughs> what can happen and uh, so I can't hunt those I can't afford to hunt grizzlies with guides and I don't want to hunt them with guides and so I'd have to say um, a lot of people think whitetail deer is the number one, and I understand that hunting big whitetails but um, hunting moose there's a there's a lot of risk in hunting moose the, the animals in it like Brian nearly got hurt that day and uh, Mike Mitten's friend was gored you know, by one and nearly killed, should have been killed, and he's had close encounters. You know, the people that hunt moose with a passion hunt them differently than people who just go on a guided hunt and shoot. And we hunt them, Mike hunts them, Brian hunts them, I hunt them, Kevin. We hunt them with a passion, and that, that's, uh, that's a different thing. And they're big, they can be dangerous, they're black bears, they're grizzlies, uh, they're rivers. It's just you put all of that together and you can't get that anywhere else. Yeah. And you can do it on, you can do it, you know, all you have to do is climb dead trees for a year and you can go do that for 14 days. <laughs> well, and, and, and Mike, who is, who is joining us in the, off, in the audience, was on the podcast, I don't know, six months or so ago talking about the same subject. And between listening to you guys and listening to him, it's, it's definitely lit a fire that I want to do this. Luckily for me, my wife does not listen to the podcast. So... Uh, 
So Nick, I'm gonna let you go with the next. Yeah, this one's from Tim Nuss. And what is your first memorable hunt? Well, I'll go, and it was a whitetail hunt. And um, I, I guess the first hunt was shooting my uh, first deer with a uh, bear Kodiak Magnum 40 pounder. And uh, that was a pretty special hunt. But the one that really sticks out in my mind is I uh, bought a longbow from Dick Robertson. And I was up in the upper peninsula of Michigan uh, bow hunting with my family, my dad and my brothers. And I wanted to kill a whitetail on the ground, spot and stalk. And so I was uh, just still hunting and I saw a doe and I started working my way towards her. And fortunately I had some pretty good, you know, area that was, you know, where I could make a stalk. And I remember 20 yards away, I had a fur tracer on the end of my wooden arrow, and I pulled that longbow back and just watched that arrow arc into the lungs of that doe, and that was a pretty special moment. Very nice. That's sweet. I don't, I don't think any, almost every bow hunter starts with whitetail deer or mule deer if that's where they live. And, uh, and almost every bow hunter, well, every bow hunter only has his first game kill with a bow and mine was a little button head white tail that you know that uh, i was shooting so well and and uh, and i just you know put an arrow into it and luckily hit it in the spine missed where i was shooting because i was having a heart attack and it just fell over and <laughs> dropped right there and every time it kicked i draw on it again but seeing that white belly you know when you put the light on it and track it down and that one was laying right there and, and the guys i was hunting with were seasoned bow hunters and uh, the one guy on that same hunt, my buddy old Tom, killed his 50th deer with a recurve. He was shooting all, he was shooting a wood handle bear takedown. And uh, that guy, uh, it was like hunting with an icon. And uh, to have him come out there, he comes out there, of course he knew I was shooting behind the front leg and I hit it at the base of the neck and severed his spine. You know, we got it up and we got it on the skinning rack and he said, well, Mountie, you miss that deer. You know, and another kid standing right here hadn't killed anything. He said, "Well, it's on the skinning rack, you know." <laughs> but nothing can take the place of seeing that first deer that you killed with a bow and arrow laying there. And that's—I uh, uh, don't know—I don't know of many people who have hunted with a bow that don't think their first deer was the most exciting thing they've ever done. Yeah, and it's funny you you say that. Um, I've I've been lucky enough to be in situations several times to help. Uh, track an animal, first animal. Sometimes it's, it's a couple times it's been hogs, a couple times it's been whitetails. And usually just that, you know, that if you've done this a while, you kind of get that instinct, that feeling, you know the animal's close. Yeah. Um, and sometimes my headlamp or something will catch a flash of light up, and I never let the person see that. I want them to keep following that trail until they're the ones that actually sees it for the first And it watching their, their face, there's yeah. nothing like it that first time. Because like I said, it there's always just that going to be that first time. Yeah. Um, so I, I really have been very lucky to be involved in maybe five or four or five of those, and it's it's really special to watch. The uh, I got a little story. Roger Rothair and me was up in Michigan here, up around Atlanta, and uh, it was 1961, and neither one of us ever killed a deer yet. But he found this good-looking spot for me and set up on the ground about 40, 45 yards of a big old tree. It was pretty breezy, and deer come out that evening, moved five buck. I shot an arrow at it and missed it. The deer just jumped up. I thought it was going to run off, but settled back down. I shot another one at it. He just got it up, but then raised his head up. The third one, I got him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great story. Yeah, I never will forget that. Yeah. So I think we've got time for one more question. We're going to wrap this one up, and, and Brian... You know, unfortunately, this one was directed directly to Monty, but when I looked at it last night, I was like, this one has to be asked. So, and I quote, the question is, when I grow up, what can I do to be like Monty Brown? That had to be a real young one there. Actually, it wasn't. <laughs> young, young 40-ish. Uh, I, I, I know who wrote this. I'll share it with you afterwards. But, yeah. So... You know, what can someone do, and I, th I think I already know somewhat of what you'll say here, but what can somebody do that was just aspiring to be like, to be like Monty Brown? Um, I would say 
the best thing they could do would try to become the most humble person that they could possibly be. Because that's what I try to be. And it's hard hunting with, my, with, with the Brian over here, you know, you know, because because he says uh, he he makes comments about that, you know. And, uh, but it's that's that would, you know, do everything you do the best you can do. Do everything as if God's watching you, and uh, just strive to be honest. Don't ever lie about anything except very elderly women who just had their hair done. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but that would be it. Where do you come up with this? <laughs> well, gentlemen, I, I do want to tell you, we're going to try to keep this thing right on the hour that they gave us. I could sit here and talk to both of you for two more hours and, and hope I get to uh, over time. But thank you so much for participating. For everyone out in the audience, we really, we really do appreciate you coming out and hanging out with us and listening in. And I'm sure I'll see you guys before we before we leave here tomorrow. Thank you so much. Right. Enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. That was great.